This morning's scripture reading is from Matthew chapter 6, verses 31 through 34. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after the, all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you and all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This is the word of the Lord. You may be, please be seated. All right. Um, thank you, Christina. And um, let's uh, settle in together, church, for, um, for our time in the, in the word here this morning. Um, kind of true confession here this morning. I um, gave up caffeine for the most part quite some time ago. I uh, primarily drink decaf now. Um, some people make f fun of that and mock it or whatever. But um, this morning, I had a meeting over at Cartel, and I, just for sake of time, got a a big cold brew, and so I'm just like, I, it's taking everything in me right now to remain kind of subdued. I'm kind of <laughs> cornholio, for those of you who know who that is. Shame on you, first of all, if you do. Um, but uh, but um, with that, turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Um, we're in the Sermon on the Mount together, and uh, it's been a good series for us. And uh, we're continuing. We love to walk through big chunks of Scripture. We like to hunker down and spend time in God's Word and, and learn and grow from Him and be shaped by Him as we come each week, again, individually and together. And so um, we've been in the Sermon on the Mount, and we'll be in here all the way up until Thanksgiving, and then we'll enter into our time of Advent, Advent season, and then we'll get into the book of Acts in the new year. So just a heads up on kind of where we're going, but for now, we're continuing to walk through the Sermon on the Mount. If you don't have a Bible with you um, that you can uh, follow along with, would you go ahead and hold your hand up and keep it up and somebody will get you a Bible, okay? We want to make sure you have a Bible that you can read and follow along with. So hold your hand up and keep it up. Um, También si necesitas la Biblia en español, levanta su mano y diga español. Y si no tienes una Biblia, eso es nos regalo a usted. Um, we want to make sure everyone has a Bible they can read and understand in their own language. So we have um, Spanish Bibles and English Bibles and um, we want to make sure that, that, again, everyone has a Bible. Though we'll always give them out each week, we encourage you to bring it, to put your name in it, to kind of underline stuff, and to follow along, because it's really important that we know this is God's Word, and, um, and, the, and the, it is the hope of life and transformation um, for us. And, and, and um, as we're you know, handing those out and turning there, let me just give us a kind of a heads up on where we've been and on where we're headed this morning. Because last week in the Sermon on the Mount, if you remember, it was Jesus saying, don't treasure these things. It was don't treasure um, money and, and, and prowess and reputation and all these things. The, the word there is mammon. Okay? Don't treasure mammon, but, 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 but cast your treasure in Jesus and in the kingdom that he's ushering in. And, he, and, and, and this whole sermon is built upon him saying that he has come to bring real heart transformation that shows up in real everyday life. 
And, and that that's the big idea, that, that he brings a transformation that, that has to take place on a heart level, and then that that shows up in real life. And so again, last week he's saying, listen, this is what my kingdom looks like, and it's counterintuitive. Don't put your, your treasure or your hope in these things. And then this week he continues that theme, and he says, and don't worry about these things. Don't be anxious. Okay, don't, don't cast your hope and your cares upon all these different things, things that can be here today and gone tomorrow. And yet you'll still need to interact and to live with these things, but don't worry about them. And that big word overarching, perhaps even in some of your Bibles, is anxiety. And just at the very forefront, I want to, I want to speak into this for us, and I want to acknowledge a, a few things. One is... I've been really upfront with you all as a church of my own sins and struggles and brokenness, broken hands and different things along those lines. Um, and yet anxiety in, in this form and in a form of kind of paralyzing worry is not something I, I have personal experience with a whole lot. Um, I, I, I flesh out that, some of those things in different ways, again, as I've shared before. And so I just want to acknowledge that on the front end. And yet I also want to acknowledge it is very, very real. The anxiety, there, it's, it can be broken up into different ways. And in fact, um, here in Scripture, predominantly what Jesus is talking about is more what we would probably consider everyday worry in life, worrying, and sometimes it blurs, and we say, oh, well, I'm anxious about this, I'm anxious about that, and that can be very different from a medical um, illness in, in many ways, or, 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 a, or, a, or a struggle, or a reality that is anxiety that can leave you um, seemingly paralyzed, and, and you're, in, in some cases, actually paralyzed and unable to move. And so some of you that, that have that, that have walked through that in here, that perhaps are on medication for that, um, hear that, that my heart, and, and I'm convinced Jesus' heart in saying these things, is not to pile on a weight, is not to say, well, shame on you. In fact, some could even ask the question, well, um, is anxiety a sin? And that's a serious question. I don't want to just brush past it. I want to acknowledge what I would say is, is anxiety the result of sin? I'd say absolutely. Sin is, um, sin is not God. Sin, sin is where God and his rule and his reign and his good character and his, the relationship with him and with one another that he's created us for has been removed and has been taken away. That is sin in kind of a broad stroke. Sin is not God. And so anxiety is the result of, 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 of sin, of not God. But when you hear a scream or a door slam or just for no apparent reason you get chilly and, and, and you seemingly can't move, are you sinning in that moment? I don't think so. But again, it's the result of the way things are not supposed to be. I want to encourage us in the result of the fall of brokenness in the world Today. And so what I want to encourage us in is this, that predominantly Jesus is, is, is informing us of the good news and the character of God and who he is and his, and his power and his, and his might. And so the goal in this, again, is not to just, in fact, some of you that that is the case, you see this passage, and this passage in particular is I've asked different people who I know and love who, who have had anxiety and who walk through this, this, this condition, this, 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 this struggle 
this is like, man, this is kind of the worst passage for me because I just feel ashamed and, and I feel guilty and, and I feel like Jesus is not happy with me and I feel less than others. And, and, and again, that's not, that's not the heart. That's not Jesus' heart in, in speaking these words. So what we'll see is an acknowledgement. I think we're all asking these questions as we walk through everyday life. It's this. We're asking, does God see? Does God see the struggle that I'm in? And then we're asking, does God care? Does he care about what I'm going? Is he seeing, but just like, huh, you know, sucks for you, you know? But, or does God care? Does he enter in? And then finally, can God do anything about it? Is God a kind of impotent, distant, caring God, but one that can't really enter in and do anything about it? And so we're asking these very real questions. And, 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 and before I pray, what I want us to understand as we pray, you and me more together, church, this morning is this. It's not to present you and me more with ourselves, but it's to present us with God. Because I'm convinced that more and more, is it important for us to look at the medical realities? We have someone in here I know as someone I respect and love who's a trained counselor and who could answer and break apart the realities of anxiety that, that, can, that, can, that can capture our souls and the help that we need to navigate our own hearts in order to bring the good news of Jesus into those parts. And that's very important and very necessary. And yet, what, what I want to do for us today is simply um, cast our eyes on God. And to perhaps begin the process, or at least lead us this morning into seeing God. Because I'm convinced that the good news of Jesus is that all of life falls into clearer, better perspective when we see him more clearly and more rightly. And so with that, let me pray and ask that he would reveal himself to us and would lead us through his word as the hope of life, and the, ounce, and the answer to those questions that we're asking, does God see, does God care, and can God do anything about it? Let's pray together. Lord, we do come together as your people, even as we prayed this morning, individually and communally, we need you. In our, in our child rearing, in our marriages, in our, in our hearts, and as we walk through highs and lows, in our good days and our bad days, in our seemingly very mundane, normal days, which can sometimes be the hardest, we, we need you. And, and I pray that this morning you would reveal yourself all the more clearly to us, that as we spend time in your word, as we enter into this subject of worry, and concern, and, and as we wonder how you relate to everyday life, Lord, I pray that you would reveal the good news of the gospel, the good news that Jesus has brought real transformation that shows up in real everyday life. And so, Lord, I, I um, pray right now that you will continue to shape us through this time in your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's pick up together and begin in Matthew chapter 6. Therefore, I tell you, says Jesus, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Therefore, the first word there of this section in Jesus' sermon, he's going on, remember, he just got done saying, you cannot serve 
two masters. Either you will, you will love the one or hate the other or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Therefore, you cannot serve both God and money or God and mammon. And again, that's the kingdom of this world. That's all the things that we want to put our treasure and our hope in. That's, 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 that's prosperity. That's financial security, that's relationships, experiences, consumption, all kinds of things, saying you can't serve that and God. And then he, he goes on, therefore, do not be anxious about your life, about what you will eat, what you will drink, what you will wear, about these things. And he has that therefore to connect those because he's saying this, listen, if you serve the kingdom of this world, if you serve mammon, if you serve all those things, that will lead to uncertainty and anxiety. But the call has been, no, no, no. Serve the good God who loves you, who's calling for a heart transformation to change you. You, you serve him. He is your master. He is your Lord. And if you serve him, that leads to contentment. That leads to hope, not ease. Okay, hear me on this. We're going to walk through this. That not just oh, all your worries will go away and you have, but no, no, no. Cast your cares. Look at him, your good master who loves you. Uh, follow him and trust your life to him. And that will result in him leading you. And that doesn't lead to anxiety, to debilitating worry and struggle. And then he continues on here and he says in verse 25, is life not more than food and the body more than clothing? And then he goes on, look at the birds of the air, and, and, he, and, and he talks about how God provides for all these things. But there's a, there's a call here. There's a call like, just step back in a moment. Okay? I don't know what you are worrying about this morning. All right, I can share with you a, a ton of things I'm worrying about that I'm tempted to worry about, to be consumed with, to wonder about. And at some point, the, the call here is very, very practical. Jesus is saying, step back and consider. Have we, have we relegated life to food and cars and bills and clothing and popularity and re reputation? Again, not in a, a condemning way, not like you, silly fools, look at you, look at what you've relegated life to, you should be ashamed of yourself, but in a, I think, a loving reminder, okay, like a parent gently um, putting his or her hand under our chin and raising it up a little bit to remember and to look, he's saying life is much bigger. The life that Jesus has come to give cannot be relegated to these kinds of things, Let's step back and look. Look at the bigness of the life that he's called us into and the things that consume us, the things that we worry about are, 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 and that we think that, that's what life is all about. He's saying, no, 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 remember, it's much, much bigger. Okay, it's something like this. It's like um, some of you may have known someone, some of you may be this person that maybe have one eye that kind of wanders, you know, a lazy eye. I had a lazy eye. Yes, I was a short kid with a stutter and a lazy eye. Life was hard. You wonder why I have a little bit of kind of chip on my shoulder, a little anger sometimes. <laughs> but I would color or read and look up, and my older brother would be like, goo, like when one eye would be staring off this way, and the other eye would be looking right at him, and he's like, what's going on there? You know, I don't understand, but it's, 
Similarly, we are prone to double vision. We're prone to like casting our cares, looking at Jesus, looking at the bigness of the kingdom that he's come to usher in, and yet keeping kind of one eye over here, right? One eye on, on these things, one eye on all these things. And he's, right, and that's, 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 that's the opposite of the kingdom he's called us into. That's the opposite of uh, Hebrews chapter 12, where, where he says, run with endurance the race that has been set before you, fixing your eyes on Jesus, the author and protector of your faith. Like having your eyes set on him, running with, toward him. It's as if you're running, but then all of a sudden you start to get, like you're like, all right, I'm looking at you. I'm looking at, at who you are and what you're doing and how you inform my life now. But I'm also kind of looking over here at what all these other outside voices. And again, the, 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 the biblical language is the kingdom of this world. And Jesus had just said, no, I come to usher in my kingdom and my definition of life and of hope and of thriving. And so stop every once in a while and acknowledge if your eyes kind of wandered over here, yeah, re, re, readjust. Fix your eyes on him. And then that, that question, I love this in verse 27. There's that question, can God do anything about it? Verse 27 it says, and which one of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Again, this is kind of a check yourself moment, okay? Like, stop and acknowledge. How, however much worry you have and you give in your life, however much control you want to have, and I've done this before, like, look at your neighbor and say you're a control freak, okay? Go ahead, do that right now. Some of you, like, we are control freaks, all right, we are naturally, and then look at, like, and hear their words too. Not just your neighbor, but you. All right, we are all control freaks. Even I, the youngest of four boys, I had no control over anything, and yet still I'm, pro I'm, I'm prone to wanting to control everything. I said, let us make man a result of sin. That, that's the result of not God. God created us. God said, let us make man in our image. And then God said that your thriving and your flourishing and your functioning would come out of your dependence upon him. And yet we said, I think I'd do a little better job at it, God. Let me, let me, Jesus take the wheel, right? Like, uh, right? Like we're like, I got it from here. I'm going to take control. I'm going to take over. That's the, I, I think I made fun of country music like a month ago or so, and now I just did it again. But, um, like, we want to take control of our lives. And yet the fun, like, just acknowledge the humor in this. Like, worry all you want. Try to be in control all you want. Like, earlier in chapter 5, Jesus was talking about taking oaths and saying, like, trust me, I'm good about it, I can take this oath. And Jesus said, and, and you can't even make one hair on your head grow white or black, right? Like, I've got a little salt and pepper beard going on now, and it reveals, and I keep it, and I'm proud of it, by the way. But there's like, I can't control that, right? Yeah, you can try to dye your hair all you want, but like, no one's fooled, first of all. And second of all, it, um, it, it just reveals, like, we can't control, we can't change the color of our hair. We can't add one second to the span of our lives. We're, we're control freaks, but we're not in control. Amen? Right? Am I all alone here with this? Like, but the good news of the gospel is that we have a God who is in control, that he knows every number of hairs on our head, says Psalm 139. He knows while we are yet in our mother's womb, he knows every second of our lives. Every day of our lives have been numbered. 
God is in control and he is good. We have a powerful God. Can God do anything? Does he see? Does he care? Can he do anything about it? Yes. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. This is good news. This is speaking of Jesus, and it says this. Jesus, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. On a molecular level, on the very smallest level, Jesus is in control. And on a universal, global scale, Jesus is in control, upholding all things. If his word were removed, it would implode. We would crumble in upon ourselves on every way. And yet Jesus is in control. He can Indeed, and he will help those who are called his own. And that's good news, and that's meant not to pile on us, not to make us feel small and ashamed, but to, again, lift our eyes to the glory and the bigness of God and to give us a a, a view of our Savior who is absolutely great and glorious. And when we see him more clearly, our worries, our struggles, our lives come into a little bit better perspective. Not overnight, but in time we see the good news that he is great and that he is in control. And then he continues on here and he gets really, really practical in verse 28 as as we continue to ask, does God see, does God care, can he do anything about it? And we see, yes, he can do something about it. So now we wonder, well, does he see? Verse 28 And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. This is really, really practical. All right, some of us, like, we don't worry about clothing the same way these people did. In their day, if they had two pairs of clothing, they were, like, wealthy. Okay, some people didn't even have shoes so, so we hear this in a little different context, but, but still, it's incredibly practical. Jesus is a practical God. And the transformation to keep in rings, to transform our hearts, to change us, to give us hope, we tend to keep in like really theological, heady, big word kind of areas. But no, it's, it's for everyday life. It's for everyday folk like you and me. In fact, this, this uh, quote I read from this book that um, we use a lot, it's called You Can Change by Tim Chester. He says this, we often associate the sovereignty of God with theological debate, but for all of us, it is a daily practical choice. Okay, hear me now. We tend to, like, is God sovereign? If I asked, if most of us asked one another this question, and especially if you're new to this whole deal and you're new to church and you don't know, you know, these things, you'd hear like, oh, God's sovereignty. And then some of us like to puff ourselves up and build our identity up and use like, you know, and quote people from like a couple hundred years ago and say all these things like, yes, the sovereignty of God is, is thus that, you know, we get all crazy and we, you know, smoke a pipe and we think it's just for like really old people in robes or for like really young guys that just sit behind their computer and blog all day. And we think like, oh, that's, this is theological talk, okay? This is God's sovereignty is relegated to those worlds. And on that note, let me just say for a minute, because I sometimes maybe try to be that kind of person and try to fancy myself that way. 
which is always born out of insecurity. I can just say that to all of us because that's it's where, and when we put those things, it's because we wonder, what does this really look like in everyday life? And when Jesus starts talking about clothing and God's sovereignty as it relates to clothing, it's because he wants to reveal that his, his power and, his, and his, 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 his omnipresence, that he sees what we're going through in every moment, it's because he loves us. It's because he provides for us. It's because he cares. And some of us don't want to enter into those worlds, and so we keep it out here and in the books and in the library. And, and no, this is, a, this is a really practical question. This is a question of what does the, the character of God mean for you and me in everyday life? I asked the question last week, who or what is your God? What do you get your identity and your sense of hope from? Because whatever it is, whatever if you say, if I had that, then I'd be satisfied, or I'm holding on to this, and if ever it were taken away, then I would be, I would be devastated. Whatever that is, is, is our God, is our functional, practical God. And so now this is the same implication fleshed out here. It is in what are you putting your hope, and do, it is God's character and God's goodness informing your life today. The small things, the everyday life questions, the seemingly mundane, the, the bill paying, the, the child rearing, the, the, the what am I gonna do with my major? What am I gonna do about my singleness? What am I gonna do about my sexual orientation? What am I gonna do with these real life questions? Does God see and this other quote that the same person gives is of sanctification. I think it, it, it hits home so well. It says this, sanctification is this, the narrowing of the gap between our confessional faith and our functional faith. Okay, sanctification is, okay, it's this. Let me just give a little, a little background. Some of you like bloggers I talked about earlier, like, oh yeah, here we go. Okay, but this is for all of us here. Okay, justification is this. Justification is God bringing us into relationship with him. It's we are, we are separated from him. We, we, are, we are guilty and needing to be justified, needing to be forgiven. And so, so through Jesus' work on the cross, God justifies and forgives and accepts sinners. And there's all kinds of other big shun words we could throw in there, expiation, propitiation, all these big things that we would, but in a sense, it's 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 you, it's saves and his finish. It's going from death to life by putting your trust in Jesus and his finished work. And then the Bible speaks of, Jesus speaks of his kingdom that is coming, that is here, but is still to come. And this is glorification. This is Jesus raised from the dead victoriously. This is the day where he said, I will come back one day. I will wipe away every tear. And this is what we, this is heaven. Okay, this is the kingdom of God where he will usher in his perfect kingdom and we will live and thrive as his people. And that's, so we go from here, we get this, put your faith in Jesus and you're saved and you're forgiven. And one day, everything will be made right and all will be set right and that's glorification. And then, well, what about like this? What about now? And that's the big word for that is sanctification. It's the, it's the time where, where Jesus is continually radically committed to growing you and me into his image. It is what he has already declared to be true 
becoming made right. And so this definition of our, of our, um, our confessional faith and our functional faith growing, it's the narrowing of the gap, okay? So if you picture it like this, your confessional faith is what you say, right? It's what we say, right? Sometimes in a really ridiculous way, we show up and everything's hard. Man, I can't pay my bills. I'm struggling with this. I don't know what I'm going to do about this. I just got kicked out of school. I mean, fill in the blank, right? We've all got them here. And we, we come with these things. And then, hey, well, you know how, but hey, God's good, right? God's got it. God's got me. And we confess that. We say that. We know that's true. We intellectually um, agree with that. But then our functional, practical faith is way down here. The, the knot in our stomach, the the, 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 what we spend our time on and worrying about and dwelling in and thinking about and staying up at night about is right here. And over time, as God reveals himself more clearly to you and me, he narrows that gap. And he reveals that what we say to be true is now more and more over time becoming our hope, is more and more um, becoming what actually shapes our hearts. And I've said this before. I want to encourage us in this that um, it's not an overnight process. Okay, you don't, if you still, if, if you're like, man, I'm right here. What I say to be true and what I believe in my heart is still there's a huge discrepancy. Like, welcome. You know, you're at home here. This is like, we're, we're with you. I'm with you. And yet God loves, Jesus loves you too much to leave you there. Right? He loves us too much to keep us in this place where our confessional faith and our practical everyday real life is, 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 is distant. He's continuing to bring that together where we look at him, where we see the good news that he sees and that he cares and that he can help. And then in verse 30, he goes on and he says, Now consider the lilies of the field. Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. I tell you, He's, no, he, he, go, he says, yeah, consider how they grow. And he says, even Solomon, right, who was the king and had all everything, everything in the world, he says, even he was not arrayed like one of these. And then in verse 30, he says, but if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? This is, this is the big idea, the theological phrase that I hope we can cling on to the Latin phrase is the imago Dei, the image of God. It is the theme of Scripture. In the very beginning, God created us in his image. And in your and my everyday worries and struggles and cares and concerns and relationship with one another, it comes back to the imago Dei, the image of God. Re remember who you are. Remember who your neighbor is. And guys, we often get into this. There's an, there's an individual implication and there's a, there's a bigger communal implication. Okay, so, and and I, I know that we always are on a pendulum swinging from one extreme to the other. Sometimes we emphasize the, the communal. Sometimes we overemphasize the individual. I think historically over the last hundred or so years, the evangelical Christian church has really emphasized the individual, so we go out of our way to really emphasize, no, the community, that's why we stand together, we recite scripture together, we come forward and take communion together, it's to constantly remember the individual and the communal implications, well, that's true for this stuff, too, for the image of God. That's why these questions of 
the unborn matter. That's why we press into, as we're in a political climate and we talk about really uncomfortable things here that we have to acknowledge, well, are, are, are we only looking through the lens of what's good for me or do we care about those who don't have a voice? Perhaps the most or I think the most underrepresented, marginalized, and vulnerable in society would be the unborn. And that's why we need to speak into that. We need to, to care about that. Image bearers of God. If God cares about the trees, which he does, okay, all the hippies among us, we can, yeah, God does care. He created it, the flowers of the field. But if he cares about that, does he not much more care about his image bearers? Those who are still in the womb, Absolutely. We have got to speak up, to not stand silent, to not say, that's awkward, I want to step away from that and not speak into that. But as we do talk about as well, we can't just leave it there. But then also, well, what about the sanctity of life after someone is born? We care a, a ton about the sanctity of human life before birth. And also, what about afterbirth? What about the poor and the marginalized and the oppressed and those who, 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 are, who look differently and those who, who question and who wonder and who struggle? Does my life matter? Yeah, we need to speak into that and say yes. And guys, this just continues. That's why we have a meeting today about youth ministry and, and speak in starting a youth ministry. And some of you are like, whoa, we just jumped there. No, it's all, we're one big messy bucket, remember? And, and Jesus cares about it all. And he's, his lordship and his rule and his character is really, really practical. And we, we say, yeah, we need to have a youth ministry because there are people that go to this school and there are people, I hope, even in this, in this auditorium here, the pimply-faced junior high kid that's wondering, do, my, I don't have parents, or I, I'm, I'm questioning my value and my worth in life. And, and we need to bring all people before the good news of Jesus and say, no, you, he, he cares about the flowers of the field. How much more does he care about you, his image bearer? This comes back to how we view ourselves and how we view others. And I'm convinced that the things that we worry about are so often tied up in these things. You are made in God's image. People who don't look like you and me are made in God's image. People who don't have a voice are made in God's image. And this needs to inform and define our lives. And Jesus says, Do, listen, God cares, God's sovereignty, God's control, God sees and he cares. And then he says something there, he says, oh, you of little faith. And that could be, again, I, I saw some heads nodding when I said that when we struggle with anxiety, we wonder, like, you know, is this just, is, is, is Jesus just going to dump on me right now and be like, you know, shame on you and your silly anxiety and all the things you care about? Isn't life more than this? Isn't life more than food and clothing? Shame on you. Oh, you of little faith. And just sit back, right? That's what we think. And no, there is a, a tender compassion here. Saying, yes, you, you have faith. The question is, is it in Jesus? You have faith. But the question is, is it adequate? Is it sufficient? Is it informing your life? Saving faith, when you put your trust in Jesus, it's a transfer of trust. I no longer trust my life and my eternal security in myself and my own good works, so I now put my faith in Jesus. I put my trust in him. But again, 
Every day here on in between, we're, it's a question, is my faith adequate, sufficient? Do I entrust my life to the good and capable hands of God? And so when he says, oh, you of little faith, that there's an encouragement to press in and to acknowledge that, because some of you I know will go there and will wonder, well, do I even have a faith? Do I even trust? And most often, if you're asking that question, the answer is probably yes. It's not that your faith is absent, but my encouragement is for you to ask honestly, is it adequate? Is it defining your life? And that's the tone that Jesus has when he says, oh, you of little faith. He wants to acknowledge you're at the banquet table that he has called you and me into. And you and I are eating the crumbs that we've gathered that we feel like we can hold control over. And he's saying, trust me. Trust me with your life. I will provide. And then he goes on, and, and when we wonder, does he even care? Verses 31 through 34. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Does God care? Well, he's your heavenly father. Jesus uses that language of heavenly father to remind us once again, okay? We spoke, we just talked on the Lord's Prayer a couple of weeks ago, right? We just talked about our father in heaven and, 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 and we're so prone to just weave it there and just be like, yeah, okay, that was a couple weeks ago, but now but I, I, we need to acknowledge a lot of us, we, we struggle with this. We struggle with this question, does God see? Does God care? Can he do anything about it? Because we, we have this idea of father and it's really broken, because a lot of us in this room experienced homes where the father was gone altogether. So no, he doesn't see. No, he doesn't care. No, he can't do anything about it because he's not even there. Or dad had his head buried in the car, in the garage. He had the music turned up. He was out there. He was looking at the screen. He was looking at women that were not our moms. And, and so we wonder, does, does, does dad care? Does my father care? And then we, all of a sudden, we are supposed to overnight switch, and now we have this idea of a heavenly father that's just easy. But, but that's why Jesus continually, as I've said before, in this section of Scripture, hear me, church, he uses the word father more than anywhere else in the entire Bible. Because Jesus wants to help us connect the dots that the transformation that he brings in the heart and the kingdom that he calls us into and the life that he calls us to live, the glorious life of his kingdom of restored relationship with our heavenly father is dependent on us rightly understanding the character of our father. And he's good. And he cares. And he provides. And we see that no more clearly than looking at the cross. My prayer is that through our community, through our relationships with one another, through the people that we sit next to, as we press it, as we fight against our tendency to become a young, hip, millennial, coffee-drinking, fixed-gear bike, riding, you know, like one demographic kind of church, but we press into that and we pray for, as Stephen used the language of a tapestry, and we have a, we have a time coming up here on November 10th, okay, save the date, right here, of, of a tapestry, and we're specifically talking about 
race at that time, but as we press into the eclectic body of, of Jesus, that he is weaving together, that the tapestry that he is creating as his people, and we press into uh, socioeconomic and ethnic and, 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 and gender and, 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 and uh, generational diversity, or better word again, tapestry, Hopefully, over time, we start to see, wow, that person's relationship with his kids is really good and is really different from what I had. I get a little clearer picture of the Heavenly Father as I relate in community with the older and the younger and the different. And more and more, though, that won't suffice, ultimately. But he's given us the clearest picture in the cross of Jesus in Romans chapter 8, where we see the provision of God, we see the character of the heavenly Father in this. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? We look at the cross and we see the power and the character of God. We see the goodness and the greatness of God most clearly demonstrated at the cross of Jesus. We can't get past that. We never get past that. Um, there's another illustration I would love to give you that where, where we see that as life goes on and we understand more and more our desperate need for God's grace and we understand how short we fall, all that does over time is it produces a bigger picture of the cross and the sufficiency of God's provision. That God is great and powerful. That he used the seemingly weakest way in human history to accomplish his knockout punch. That he would send his son to die naked and seemingly desperate and weak on a cross. And yet God flexes his heavenly muscle by, accomplish, by putting death to death on the cross. And then by victoriously raising Jesus from the dead and saying, look, death does not win. No, the good news of Jesus wins that God shows his character and his power and his might and he demonstrates his love for us that while we're yet sinners, Jesus died for us. So every week we come to the communion table, we sing songs, we look at the cross. Every time we're in the scriptures, we, were, we are presented with our desperate need for the cross and God's glorious and good provision that though we are desperate and needy and though left to ourselves, we should worry God sees and he cares and he acts on our behalf. And we see that in the cross of Jesus and his resurrection from the dead. Amen? Amen. So church, let me leave us with these words. From his word in Philippians chapter 4. The Lord is at hand. He's present. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Will bad things happen? Will you potentially still have unpaid bills tomorrow? Will we potentially still lose jobs, lose loved ones, lose relationships, lose hair? lose possessions, all the things that we cast our hope up into. This isn't the empty, hollow, shallow prosperity gospel. But the big idea again here is not shame on you, 
You should be ashamed of yourself. It is not just just cover your eyes and pretend this hardship isn't really here. But is Jesus entering in and pressing in and saying, I'm with you. It is God saying, yes, he sees. Yes, he cares. And yes, he is able to provide and and to care for those who have been called his children. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord, as we uh, have spent time in your word, I trust that we're, I hope we're encouraged. I, I, I trust that we're all the more aware of our insufficiency, of the discrepancy, the, the big wide gap between what we say to be true and what we actually believe to be true. And yet, Lord, you're not up there shaking your head at us. You're not the angry dad on the side of the soccer field just shouting orders and saying, get it together, oh, you of little faith. But you're saying, I'm here, I'm with you. I'm sufficient. I see, I care. I know, I love you. So Lord, I pray now that, um, Lord, I do pray for those who have been, who have been paralyzed by, by anxiety, by the medical prescribed reality of anxiety, I pray that, Lord, you would enter in, that you would bring hope where seemingly there's no way for it to come. Lord, I pray that you would use doctors and wisdom and counseling and medicine and whatever it takes, Lord, to bring the good news, the healing work of the gospel to bear. And Lord, I pray that most of all, foundationally, all those things would flow out of the good news that you do see and you do care and you are able Lord, I pray now that as we respond in in every way, as we come before your table, that we would realize that we would look to the cross and that we would see that you are with us or that you're not shaking your head in disgust, but you have entered in in order that now through you, Lord Jesus, we can come before the, the throne of our Father, our Dad, who loves us. And it's in your name, Lord Jesus, that we pray. Amen.